Hey all you cool pilsners and loggers, I am back. After about a month and a half, maybe two month hiatus, I am back and making podcasts. I've definitely missed it. I've definitely missed doing these interviews with my guests and getting to talk to some awesome women in the industry. And I am so happy to finally be able to be back and feel comfortable doing it. The tap room's been open about a little over a month, almost a month and a half. And I feel I feel like I got my feet underneath me. So I'm I'm ready to start podcasting again. It's been an incredible month and a half opening the highway. Louisville Tap Room, and thank you to everyone who's come out and said that they've listened to this podcast at the Tap Room. Um, that's such an incredible feeling. I know I normally start these podcasts with saying about a beer that I drank that I really enjoyed this past week, but I've drank a lot of beer in the past month and a half, so I'll just give out a shout out to all the High Wire beers. They're incredible. Um, one that I'm really crushing right now is our Oktoberfest, Zirkus Fest, which is a Martin. No surprise, it's really what I'm drinking. So many incredible stories have come out. Um, one thing I do want to mention is keep looking out for those brave noise brave noise beer collaborations that um with rat magnet uh brian allen and women of the devolution and guys you know i'm i'm starting this podcast again after a little bit but little ale trail still sponsors it they haven't gone anywhere um but they have something fun coming up so welcome to the pouring 20s kentucky louisville ale trail against the grain how our brewing and wessex brewing are proud to present the return of louisville beer week this year louisville beer week runs from friday october 22nd through friday october 29th with an after party at tailspin ale fest on saturday october 30th those celebrating can expect beer collaborations panel discussions and over 20 events put on by 23 breweries and thirsty patrons can now be quenched like they've never been before with a limited edition pouring 20s 22 ounce commemorative oh i need to practice my words commemorative cup that we made available at participating breweries for more information visit www.louisvilleailtrail.com one of those events that they're putting on is a women in beer panel which yes i am moderating i'm super excited to be the moderator for the women in beer panel it's on wednesday october 27th I believe is that date. Um, I could be wrong. Let me pull up. Yeah, it's at October 27th at 7 p.m. at Logan uh, Street Market here in Louisville. I'm the moderator. There's some incredible guests that will be on there from from Vigrets, The Grails, New Belgium. Um, I'm drawing a blank. I'm not looking at the list, which is a really bad podcast around me. But hey, I'm 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 new to this again. I'm a little rusty, but I'll have more details on the next couple episodes. But guys, like I said before, I'm so excited to be back. I don't even I think I told you who I'm who's joining me on this podcast. It is Tara Nern. She is a uh, a freelance writer covering uh, the beverage industry. Plus, she is a a newly author of her book, A Women's Place Is in the Brew House: A Forgotten History of Alewives, Brewsters, Witches, and CEOs. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening again, and I'm so excited to be here and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. I am joined with Tara Nuren. Tara is the um, is a author and veteran freelance writer covering um, essentially, you know, the beverage industry, the service industry, um, and I think you have bylines in Forbes, USA Today, kind of the big ones, and there's some all, some s- other small ones as well. But Tara, how are you doing this Monday morning or Monday afternoon? 
<laughs> I'm good. Thanks. I'm glad to be on your show. I'm still working on my first cup of coffee. So um, <laughs> this might be a little bit more of a mellow show than having been recording. No, that's, later. <laughs> that's what I want. That, those are the kind that I like the best. But um, so the, the main reason I wanted to have you on the podcast, um, among many other small ones, but and we'll get to it later, but you, you released your first book, A Woman's Place is in the Brew House, A Forgotten History of Alewives, Brewsters, Witches, and CEOs. But like I said, we're going to end with that and kind of, kind of, I like to start from the beginning with a lot of my, a lot of my podcast uh, guests. So in the beginning is going back to Northwestern. You graduated from Northwestern University's journalism school, one of the most prestigious journalism schools in the country. Um, what? And you, you focus on broadcast journalism, correct? Correct. So did you always know you wanted to get into journalism? I did. I realized it when I was a little kid. I was about 10 reading a book. I can actually picture where I was in my parents' old house on the porch reading it. And um, the little girl main character wanted to be a journalist. And I thought, wow, how cool. I get to keep learning things and I get to teach people things and I get to, um, you know, get them to hopefully see the world in a better way that makes them want to take action, um, make the world a better place, et cetera. And um, so I went to Northwestern for grad school to get my broadcast journalism degree and then became a TV journalist, TV reporter for 10 years. Yeah. So I also went to journalism school. I did not go to Northwestern, but um, I can, you know, I, the crazy thing is I also got my degree started in broadcast and then quickly realized I absolutely hated being on TV. I didn't short, like the broadcast writing is a lot different than, you know, print. And I was like, I, I don't like this. I'm a storyteller. I like to be long and I like to be extra in stories. So I quickly transitioned away from broadcast to stick with print. When, when did that switch happen for you? Because after you graduated, you worked as both a TV reporter and then a producer and a director. When did the switch to writing happen full-time? So the switch to writing happened in 2005. I left my last TV job, which was here in the Philadelphia market. And I started producing and directing documentaries. I took on um, a lot of print clients. So, and, and that's when I started focusing on beer writing and specializing in women in beer coverage. So back in 2005. And was there, you know, to go from, you know, TV producing and then, you know, just writing and then writing about, you know, beer and women in beer, was there something that happened or did you see something in the industry that you were like, okay, I feel it's my duty to start covering this. I mean, this is 2000, you said five, Right. I mean, this craft beer boom hadn't really happened. So, so what made you want to do it or cover beer? So um, in 2005, I was and still am of the opinion that Philly was the primary craft beer city on the East Coast at that time. And um, my biggest client was the Philly Tourism Bureau. So I was really fortunate to be able to cover the emerging craft beer industry in the Philly area as it was happening before it was happening in most other places in the country. So there were a lot of things that I really loved about um, the beer industry as I was watching it, you know, progress in Philly. Um, you know, a lot of the things about the 
the conviviality, the cooperation, the focus on eco, the fact that I could see um, beer tourism becoming a thing <laughs> eventually, which it did. Um, and so at the time, the journalistic advice I was getting as I transitioned from TV into more print and documentary coverage was it's best to focus on a particular topic in one's journalist, journalistic coverage, you know, better to not be a generalist. So I spent about a second and a half thinking that maybe I would be a wine writer. And then I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. There's so many wine writers. I'll never know enough about wine, but I've loved good beer since the mid nineties when I was in college in Boston. And now I'm totally dating myself. Um, and, uh, so basically I thought right time, right place and right gender. Um, because really there were hardly any women writing about beer and there were hardly any people writing about women in beer. And, um, everybody who was writing about women in beer at the time has pretty much, uh, kind of retired and I'm the only one left, you know, until we get to this new crop of, of writers. Yeah, you, you mentioned wine. And so you covered wine for for um, less than a year. Um, what's the biggest difference about covering the wine industry than the beer industry? Because as someone who doesn't drink wine, I really don't understand the wine industry. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just something I'm not familiar with. But I obviously it's like, you know, there's craft wine, there's craft beer. Is there a scissor? Is the like people who you write to different? Like, is the people reading it? Like, when you're writing these stories, do you think about the different people reading these stories, if that makes sense? Sure. So, I want to clarify a little bit if I misled you. I didn't ever cover wine specifically. I was just saying at that time before I decided to specialize in beer, I thought I gotcha. for one second, hey, why don't I become a beer writer? And then immediately realized, no, it makes much more sense for me to become a, a beer writer. So I have covered wine here and there throughout the years, but I would never called myself a wine writer. So I don't, I could throw an answer at you, but right. um, I'm not sure I'm really the one to answer that. Then no. <laughs> I, I just, I find that, you know, I, I interview journalists on here and most of them are just beer writers, but you kind of covered more of a broader, like beverage thing. So I, I just sure. find, you know, I, I don't, I try to not dismiss the wine industry and see how we can relate to it. So, um, um well, you know, I can tell you one thing that I do find a little frustrating as a beer writer vis-a-vis -vis the wine, um, industry, which is that, you know, and this is on such clear display here where I live in New Jersey, um, the wine industry, having been established so much, so many years prior to the craft beer industry, they've got rights that the beer craft beer industry is still really, really, really fighting for. I mean, we've got two breweries currently moving out of New Jersey into Pennsylvania, presumably because um, it's just so super restrictive. And the wine lobby here has done a good job of sort of beating us <laughs> to um, having a lot of rights that, that beer doesn't. That's a bit of a tangent. I don't know if that's something. Well, that's no, because that, that that completely makes sense for me here in Kentucky because of bourbon. Bourbon can do, I don't want to say just about everything, but they definitely rule this state where, you know, beer and I, I'm I, like, I'm not very familiar with the wine industry. There are some, some wineries here, 
but you know to ship bourbon and to do things with bourbon and the distilling industry is so you know i i mean they have been around for a lot longer but it's a lot easier than what some of these breweries fight for so in that sense i i that makes a lot of sense to me yeah that's a great comparison i mean i do cover spirits also i am the wine and spirits i mean the uh the beer and spirits contributor to forbes so i mean i see differences between those two industries too um definitely the spirits industry throws a lot more money around than, uh, than the, the even the big beer industry but um that's a whole different topic so go ahead <laughs> um and then a couple of things that you've kind of covered as a as a writer is um you you wrote for USA Today as a travel writer, talking about, uh, you know, beer and travel. Um, talk about, you know, what kind of stories you wrote as part of that. Oh, back when I was writing for USA Today a lot. Um, yeah, you're right. I was writing a lot of travel. I was writing a lot about Philadelphia destination okay. coverage. Um, I pretty much wrote the entire insert, Philadelphia travel insert that they put in one year. Um, but yeah, they are, they have shown themselves very willing to cover beer. And um, there's a um, still popular readers contest that votes on the um, best tap rooms in the country. And I'm not gonna say that I started that, but um, the, the people who they use now to um, put those those lists together and and put those um, nominees out to the public are all people I brought brought on board um, and so I really got that going a couple of years ago and that's still something I see covered in the news every year when um, certain tap rooms are are voted you know to be among the best um, so yeah so kind of started that like I guess essentially those polls that you know I always go in and they, they get me I click every time I'm like I'll vote for this one because I've been there so you kind of started that yeah just that one I'm not going to take credit for other readers polls but um the one about best tap room yes that's, um that's awesome at least in its in its current iteration yeah I started that and then I've written for food and wine magazine wine enthusiast magazine all kinds of beer publications and that varies um again i like to cover the economics history and culture of beer um and sometimes that takes me to writing about beer culture or beer personalities in other places like foreign countries um you know the intersection of beer and dining in you know places we might want to visit that that sort of thing is all fun for me yeah, I mean, I was looking kind of at your your LinkedIn essentially last night, and I have it pulled up now. And your the list is just incredibly long, and it's it's amazing because to see, you know, where you started to where you are now, and all the things you've covered and done, you know, your portfolio is amazing. And I would ask you about everything, but it's a, it's, a, it's a long list. Um, one more thing I do want Thank to focus you. on is the um the chocolate and beer pairing classes and events that you led um you often see you know a lot of like you see a lot of like taproom events that you know do the food in and beer pairing what about chocolate and beer really interests you it's such a novelty right um you know i often start my classes by having people raise their hand who's ever paired beer with chocolate before i would raise Yay. And then I ask who's ever thought about pairing beer with chocolate before. Um, and there's, there's like 
a literal universe of possibilities. I mean, if you've done the pairing, you know, and it's something that people in the beer world are more familiar with now, you know, beer and Girl Scout cookie pairings and beer and Halloween candy pairings. We'll see a lot um, of those coming up. Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm here for it, <laughs> as they say. Um, but yeah, there was a time when I was teaching the only regularly scheduled beer and chocolate pairing class that I know of in the world. I'm certainly not the first. I won't be the last. Right. Um, but there's so much fun possibility. And it's really fun surprising people with the, A, the fact you can do it in the first place and B, how much fun and versatile it is. What are some of your favorite chocolate and beer pairings? Ooh, um, well, you know, I'm going to cop out for a minute, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, my classic chocolate and beer pairing is um, like a, a chocolate, maybe a rich cho dark chocolate ganache with um, like a sweet framboise, like a Lindemann's. And again, I said, I'm going to cheat. That's a very classic, obvious pairing, but I love presenting that to students and, um, you know, anybody attending my classes, sometimes I do them virtually um, because I find it's a way to get people into beer who don't think they like beer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, you know, you, when we talk about sour beers, for instance, like, oh, present those to wine drinkers. Well, if you're somebody who's maybe putting together a Valentine's Day date, I love this pairing for Valentine's Day. I'm always like, Put it, you know, put some chocolate stout in a champagne flute and layer it with some Lindemans from Bois and stick a sprig of mint and a raspberry in and like, you know, lay some lovely dark chocolates out that are beautiful and artistic. And I mean, man, you've got yourself the end of a great date. Um, I got that idea from um, my friend Rocky Fino, who wrote a book called We'll Cook for Sex. So <laughs> you see where maybe I'm going with this, <laughs> um, you know. Whatever. I don't know if you want to keep that part in or not, but uh, I think that that's an example of something that's fun and different and unexpected. Yeah, I, I'm i like, that's the one thing that I'm super unfamiliar with is any kind of food and beer pairing, whether it's cheese, chocolate, you know, mm. just food in general. So whenever I have a guest on who's kind of specializes in one of those areas, I always like to ask. And, you know, if our listeners are listening, then they'll, then they'll you know, get an idea of something that they can try, you know, at home. Cause Lindemann's is very easy to kind of, the framboise pretty easy to grab around the States and obviously chocolate's very everywhere. So, um, you know, I'm um, going to go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just thinking also though, for somebody who wants to try it just blind, um, it's fun. I think to use, um, you know, basically contradicting what I just said, if you want to play around, it's fun to grab beers that are really complex. Um, because there's so many different flavors and they're practically guaranteed not to go wrong. Like one of my favorite beers to use for chocolate pairings is Midas Touch. There's so much going on in there. Something's going to work. <laughs> right. Makes sense. And then we'll kind of end your, my questions about your, your journalism career. What, you know, if you could look back on your career, what is one story that you are the most proud of? Or you oh. wish, if there was one story that somebody could read that you wrote, which one would it be? That's a really good question. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to answer that. Um, what I think I'd like to highlight right now, though, is that given that there is 
so much um, focus on inclusion in the brewing industry and whether we're talking about women as you do on your show or um, racial and ethnic minorities. And I don't generally use the word minorities. I like to say um, underrepresented populations. So um, I've been writing a lot about that. Apologies, I wasn't writing enough about underrepresented populations before then other than women. Um, but one that jumps to mind right offhand is this article I wrote that like no one read and I was sad about it. Um, there's a woman I cover in my book. Her name was Frances Harper and she was a writer and poet, an African-American writer and poet and temperance worker and suffragette. Um, before prohibition and she's remarkable and I'd never heard of her before um, and I write a whole profile about her in Forbes um, and that's just one example of like an African-American woman for instance who I would like to see be more recognized um, for her contributions not in beer necessarily and actually she was a temperance worker so she might not be the most popular topic <laughs> temperance activist for for our audience but um there's a lot of really interesting information and very rich cultural understanding that comes from learning about these women who are involved in the temperance movement I have a whole chapter on it in the book and so that would be one story too, because she's, like I said, this woman, Frances Harper, was just, I just don't think most people of any race know who she is. I think I found the story. Is it a century after Black activists, few Harper fought for the vote and against alcohol, the U.S. still hasn't yep. delivered? Yeah. All right. I'll read that one since you mentioned it and Thanks. share it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, hopefully you'll get a lot more people who've read it now that you've mentioned it. Maybe I'll get it. Oh, she just she deserves it and, and like I said I cover her in the book so um that's you know we learn about her there too and since you mentioned the book we'll go ahead and uh start talking about it so you um just published your first book back in September and like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast it's called uh women's place in the brew house a forgotten history of Elwives, roosters witches and ceos so if people you know aren't familiar and I know that the, the title's a little self-explanatory but what is the book about well, it's the first book to cover the entire history of women in beer. I start about 200,000 years ago in hunter-gatherer days, and I bring us to the present and then look forward a bit. Um, it's not a simple history, however. It does have an angle. Um, I basically show how in civilization after civilization after civilization from the beginning of time, women have been the original brewers in almost every society until one three factors and sometimes they worked in combination economics politics and religion one or more of those factors have come in to every single every single civilization um and basically replaced women who were in charge of brewing beer with men Often it's when some sort of scientific technological advancement was discovered and, and sort of brought into the mainstream. And so that would be considered like an economic force because once you start requiring a lot of equipment or scientific precision in your brewing, it then comes inaccessible to almost all women who have been practicing brewing as a small domestic tour as part of their 
all their other chores, you know, dealing with the kids, cooking dinner, because it was drunk as a staple beverage, as you know, throughout most of time, um, because it contained the nutrients and not the contaminants that people believed um, water had and sometimes did. So yeah, the angle, and we've been sort of shoved out of it over and over and over for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But then we get to the craft brewing industry and it's opened up the doors once again to women being able to reclaim that, right? When did the idea for this book come about? Was this something that you always, you knew you wanted to do for a while or you know, were you approached about the idea to write it? Um, funny enough, even though I've been a journalist, for all of my adult life, I never had this idea to write the great American novel or anything. And so I owe Terry Farendorf, the founder of the Pink Boot Society, all the credit, and you'll see she wrote the foreword. Um, it was her idea. We were on the phone in 2015 or 2016, and um, Terry always used to give me these big ideas that I thought were great, but way too intimidating. <laughs> and um, she said to me, Tara, nobody's written a book about the history of women in beer before, and you need to write it. You're the one to write it. And finally, after all these great grand ideas she'd given me, I thought, oh, you know what, Terry, I actually could probably do that. So, I mean, people write books all the time and who aren't even professional writers, I guess I could take a step. So yeah, five, five years later, here we are. And um, I'm really excited and happy to have, um, you know, I don't want to give myself too much credit by saying like brought it into the world or something, but there really was a gap and a need for mm -hmm. this. So I'm happy that it does exist now. Did you and there's plenty more to write. Trust me, plenty more to write. <laughs> did, you, did you want to write a book? Like, was that something you thought about before? Or did you just, when this idea came up, you're like, okay, I could be the one to do that. It was the latter. I I'd never really thought about in any serious way, writing a book before, at least not you know, not now. Right. Um, so it was Terry. Um, yeah. What was the hardest part about writing a book? Oh, deadlines. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't see the light of day for all of October, 2020. <laughs> I locked myself in my basement, which is where I'm talking to you from now. And um, my friend was visiting from California and uh, she basically would cook food and like throw it down the stairs. Like I was a prisoner or something, you know, <laughs> it was did, awful. <laughs> did the pandemic help at all? I mean, cause everything was kind of shut down. So was that, I mean, I guess it was, you said October. So I think things were open, but before then you probably had a really good chance to, you know, not do anything. Yeah, totally. Um, so the pandemic was both a help and a hindrance um, as far as like giving me more time right. to just sit and write. Yes, in theory, that was true. <laughs> Had I been somebody who knows how to use my time a little more efficiently, it would have helped more and maybe this October debacle wouldn't have happened. But um, yeah, I mean, I travel a lot for my job. Um, you know, and even where I was traveling to promote the book or traveling with my New Zealand Hops client, I was traveling a lot for primarily words. And so I was forced to stay home, which was great. Um, 
hindrance though was that I was using these trips as an opportunity to go research in the places I was visiting. So, you know, I got to spend time in libraries in Edinburgh, like the Scottish National Library. And in Finland, I did a lot of research. So I, I lost that. The other problem was that people working in museums and in academia who I had planned to really rely on for information, particularly about the more, you know, the past chapters, um, didn't have a lot of access to their materials. And so I lost out on, on that. I don't know how much or little information that would have provided, but it definitely, I did get a few emails. Tara, I'd love to help you. I can't get to my office. Right. And then, um, do you ever think you'd, what, I had a question in mind, but I just forgot. But anyway, do you think you plan, whatever plan to write a second book? Or are you just kind of a one and done? Uh, well, there are two and a half answers to that, I think. One, would you like me to break some news on your show? <laughs> of course. Let's do it. I wish I had like a breaking news button or whatever. <laughs> That'd be funny. Do, do, do. Yeah, uh, so I allude to this in, um, I think they acknowledge, I allude to this somewhere in the book, but I don't say outright what it is. Um, Pete Slossberg from Pete's Wicked Ale and I are going to write a beer and chocolate book. Oh, awesome. So that is my next book. I haven't announced that publicly until right now. Um, and I know that there will be more to write about women in beer, after that, I don't know yet what it is. Um, originally, I thought that I would write a book that looks more closely at some of the contemporary women who have done amazing things in beer. And that still might be the book, but I'm not sure. I don't know if there's like so much of a market for like a chapter on, you know, a chapter on the five top female brewers in the Pacific Northwest or something. I don't know. So we'll see. Well, I mean, I would read it, but <laughs> beyond other women who work in here, there, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I did remember my other question that I thought of earlier. You know, this book's been out, I guess, a month now. Uh, it came out September 21st, but it's been on pre-sale for a long time, so it feels like it's been out much longer. What has been like the reaction from people who have read it, especially women who work in beer? I'm, I'm assuming it's all positive, but is there anything that you couldn't like someone has said to you that's been remark um, that you've remembered just because it made such an impact on you or them? Yeah, um, the response that I've got it gotten has been universally um, excellent. Luckily, I'm holding my breath. <laughs> Not everybody can be that nice, can they? Right. Um, no, it's been really amazing to log on to social media every day and see women and men, you know, posting pictures of getting the book. People I don't even know, you know, thank you so much for writing this book. This is tremendous. Really appreciate it. So that's really gratifying. Um, the thing that makes me the happiest personally is hear from somebody who was a craft brewing pioneer who left the industry very early and has pretty much been never been heard from again in the beer world. And then because of writing this book, I've researched them. Like actually, again, I don't want to sound like I'm giving myself too much credit, but this is this is the truth. Like sure. found some of these women. Um, 
who had completely disappeared and, you know, met with them in person and really loved getting to know them, hear their stories. I've put them in touch with some other beer women for the first time who I thought, you know, they would jive, mm-hmm. people who they jive with. And I've recently got a couple emails from um, women like that who have just thanked me so deeply and graciously for like making them feel seen again for the first time in decades Um, and how it's just really brought new meaning to their lives. And like, I want to cry when I get those emails. Like if I wrote this book for nothing else, then that would be the reason to write it is for these women. I, I've told myself I'm not buying any more books because I have a stack of like three to get through. But as soon as I get through those, you're next. <laughs> I'm, I'm in, so excited to read it. And, you know, on, you know, I'll say thank you for writing it. You know, I haven't read it yet, but I'm just going <laughs> to say thank you because I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Um, I know a few people who have read it and they said it's amazing. And um, I'm very excited to, to, you know, obviously I'm talking to you about now and then I'm kind of doing the, opposite way usually people would like read it and then talk to them like I'm gonna do the interview and then read it and I think it'll maybe I'll have a different um uh you know look on the book so I'm excited and then I think so we'll we'll kind of wrap it up besides the book on chocolate and beer is there anything else that um you want people to look out for in the future whether it's an article on Forbes or anything else oh that is a good question um And uh, I'm working with New Zealand Hops um, as a marketing client. I mentioned that before, and I'm just really excited to travel the country and and brew collabs with some of the world's greatest brewers using NZ Hops. We brewed a collab at Anchor um, a couple months ago, and like that was such a huge honor. Um, But yeah, the other things I'm doing, I think, are kind of less for the public. just keep spreading the word about the book and, and women in beer. And actually it's really helpful. I hear when people write reviews on Amazon, sorry. Um, it helps the algorithms. And so like, if you like the book and you want more people to read it, writing a review really helps. Is Amazon the only place it's available? No, it's available pretty much anywhere online. You can buy books. It's available in indie bookstores, hopefully not just indie bookstores, um, hopefully in some of the big box stores too, but online you can buy it pretty much anywhere. Um, I mentioned Amazon for the reviews because I think that's pretty much the one that counts. Mm-hmm. I don't expect I'm going to get on the New York Times bestseller list, so <laughs> we can start with Amazon. This is are you planning on doing an audio version of your book? And if so, are you going to record it? There already is an audio oh, is version of the book. Thank you for actually reminding me. There's a Kindle version. There's an audio version. And no, they hired um, a real voice actor oh, cool. to do it. So I haven't heard it yet, actually, but it's apparently for sale already. So um, yeah, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to actually buy it or ask them to send me one. <laughs> I think they could definitely send you one. <laughs> um, but like I mentioned before, I always end my podcast with some rapid fire questions and uh, rapid fire kind of this or that. And then two questions. So just say which one first comes to mind. <laughs> ah, I'm a journalist. Do you know how hard this is? <laughs> no, I know. These, are, these aren't too bad. 
So do you okay. prefer six pack of 12 ounce cans or four pack of 16 ounce cans? <laughs> uh, six pack. If you're drinking straight from it, a bottle or a can? Oh, uh, I prefer bottles, but cans go down really easy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, New England or West Coast IPA? Ooh, oh, goodness. Uh, New England. That's a weird answer. I know. <laughs> stout or porter? Oh, they're both awesome. Sweet stout, Mexican stout. Gosa or Berliner Weiss? Ooh, Gosa. Seltzer or cider? Mm, cider. Uh, chocolate or vanilla in your beer? Oh, such a good question. I love them both. Uh, chocolate? Um, I might know the answer to this because I saw your cat earlier. Brewery cats or brewery dogs? <laughs> uh, cats, they tend to bark less. <laughs> Very true. Favorite beer city that you've been to? Oh, that's so mean. Um, so many. Uh, so many, so many, so many. I'm sorry. Um, I really love the Denver area for everything. So I will include it in this answer. Yeah. <laughs> favorite beer glass style. Oh, I love TQs. They're so elegant. A favorite hot variety. Oh, I'm going to have to go with, I can't answer this objectively. I'm going to be honest with you. So I'm going to pull out the uh, new um, Blockbuster NZ Hop Nectaron, which is really fun and juicy. And yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's your go-to beer right now? What's a beer that you just absolutely are loving? It could be a style or a certain specific beer. Um. Okay, I'm just looking around on my desk. What do I have? Um, Well, you know, um, maybe a cop-out answer, but it is fall. And so I am really appreciating all the the Oktoberfests Mm -hmm. that are out. you can appreciate that given the, uh, <laughs> the name of your podcast. Um, I, I like that we're doing loggers these days and I did, I will pat myself on the back for this. I did call, um, a couple years ago that we were going to be seeing a lot of Oktoberfests in the coming years. And I'm glad we are. They're I just everywhere. got some sense everywhere. And, and the tank brewing in Florida, um, is amazing. I hear, and I've never tried their stuff and they just sent me some. So that's going to be something I opened this week. And then two questions. If you could go on any beer vacation right now, where would it be and why? Oh, goodness. Um, All right. Well, I'm loving going all over the country to promote the book. Um, I want one of my um, early uh, foreign trip, post-COVID foreign trips to be Egypt to do research. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what there is uh, beer-wise to drink there, but... um, can I go with Egypt? Because there's a lot to research there. I'd like to really see some of those archaeological digs. I'm sure there'd be beer. It might not I'm be sure there's some beer, but there's probably beer. <laughs> and then if you could have beer with one person, who would it be? If you could have a beer with one person, who would it be? Oh, uh, living or dead? Sure. Uh, you know, if this weren't a beer question, I usually go with, oh, and there, he's, he's problematic in history right now. So maybe I should pick a different one, but um, 
I've always really, before all the Sally Hemings stuff came out, I've been um, somebody who's always really admired Thomas Jefferson. Um, he very much was a Renaissance man. Um, I don't know. I can't really say that, Kinsey. I, I think people won't like that. Let me let me scratch that. Sorry. Okay, how, about we do the, how about we do someone who's alive? All right. Someone living who I'd love to have a beer with. I don't know. I get to drink beer with a lot of people who are alive who I want to drink beer with who um let's see let's see let's see let's see let's see give me a minute I know it's supposed to be rapid fire but Sorry, everybody I can think of I've already uh, I know I know all right it could be an actor a singer yeah. or a politician I don't know a celebrity I guess um Jimmy Buffett <laughs> and no I would prefer not to drink his land shark beer I would like to maybe present him with some um, of my favorites. <laughs> so you're a, what do they call you? Are a, there's a name for you all, or isn't there? Like, paired heads. Paired heads. I was about to say like margarita heads, but you're a paired yeah, head. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, I, yeah, we've had some repeat people. So I was like hearing someone who's new. So I, I didn't expect Jimmy Buffett to come out, but I love that. I love that answer a lot. Not the most intellectual answer, but that guy really knows how to live. He's smart. He's laid back. He's fun. I think it would be a really meaningful, enjoyable day. And like you said, you've, you've had a beer with a lot of people so that you've wanted to. So that's, that's a great answer. Those are my favorite. Thanks. Well, Tara, I appreciate you so much for hopping on here. I know you've been away for a while and I know you kind of squeezed me in today. So I really appreciate it. I cannot wait to read your book. Um, after I get through the three that I'm making myself get through that I've had sitting. So um, thank again, thank you for writing this book for all of us who work in beer and are women. Uh, I know we, we appreciate it and um, I can't wait to see what's next from you. And I can't wait to see the book continue to gain more and more attention and um, for people to read it. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be talking to you for the first time and, and appearing on your podcast because people it's like one of the standards of, of women in beer podcasts so thanks well thank you um like I said have a great rest of your Monday and have a great week thank you so much and I mean that I'm really happy to meet you 